good morning, First Family. It's good to see you guys here today. So many wonderful jerseys and t-shirts out there. If the team you're wearing is the best team out there, say amen. Uh, that's much better than the first service, I'll tell you what. Uh, so it is a joy to celebrate you, our Upwards families. We thank you for your participation, for letting your children be a part of it, for refereeing, for coaching, for being invested in it. We bless you, and following this service, we want to invite you to the other end of the building for a fellowship meal in your honor. It is a joy, Upwards families, to be with you. And if you're not a part of Upwards, it's a joy to have you too. It is a blessing to share this time with you and to be in this series that we're doing together. We're continuing our series from Romans 12 through 14, a section that is among the most practical we'll find anywhere in the passages of Scripture. And today we get to Romans 13, verses 8 through 14, where the Apostle Paul challenges us to live lovingly. Now, let's pause here and say the instructions that he's going to offer for us are not possible in merely human terms. If we intend to just gin up enough within us to really think we can pull ourselves up and do this just because we choose to, we're going to be disappointed. Either that or we'll devolve into some sort of sweet, sappy sentimentality that doesn't really do anything anyway. All it does is make us feel better. No, the kind of love that we're going to talk about today is the kind that starts back in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where we are transformed. Remember we talked about that? A transformed life, one that is changed from the inside out, that transformation that Christ came to give us. It changes things here, and that leads to changes out here. It changes who I am, and thus that changes what I do. So loving life and living lovingly do not happen just because I choose to. They happen because I've received such a great love from Jesus. I've received something that I cannot explain and I can't really even express. And friends, here's great news. You can receive this too. The love that Jesus came to bring to me is the same love that Jesus came to bring to you. And he longs for us not just to receive it, but he, that's a good starting point. He wants us to take the next step by offering that love to those that come around us. Let's begin right here where the Apostle Paul does. Owe one, no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. What does that mean? It means this. Loving one another isn't extra credit Christianity. Now, if you were in school like I was, then you needed every ounce of extra credit you could muster. Amen? Amen. Let me tell you, maybe you took geometry twice like I did. It was a real blessing. I needed all the help I could get. Every point counted. And I want to tell you, friends, when we come to extra credit, then that's an add-on, isn't it? Something we do in addition to the requirements. Well, let me tell you, friends, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that I am called, if I don't do anything else, to love those around me. That's not always easy, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it will help us be identified. Identifying marks. What are the things that identify us? Well, our jerseys, for one thing. 
these shirts that we wear. This particular one is of the Texas Rangers. Did I mention they won the World Series this year? Maybe we'll talk about that another time. So we, we, we wear these and we mark ourselves with them because we want to identify with that group, don't we? We want to say, hey, I'm with them. I'm with them, especially when they win, right? We want to identify with them. We want to have our lives marked with theirs. And so we want to be similar, be joined with them. Can I tell you today, my friends, not always is it as easy as just slipping on a shirt. I have a friend that's a vet in Fort Worth. Kevin's a good man and a good friend. And I called him this week because I was thinking about stock shows. I was thinking about the Fort Worth stock show going on right now and how when those cattle come in the, in, the, in the building, when those animals come through the door, they get clipped with ear tags. Now, for the most part, it's just clipping on a tag. But I, I, was, thinking, I, I was thinking about when I was a kid, we, we used to do something with the pigs in our, in, in our region. We'd mark their ears by slicing little bits out of their ear. We take a little, a little clip, a little tool, and just snip some out of their ear in a particular fashion or form to mark, this animal belongs to me. It, we called it, what, an earmark, right? Earmarks. That's a symbol that this animal belongs to me because I put that mark on him. What if we as Christians, what if we as Christians had earmarks? What if we had things that marked us? What would they be? Well, let me tell you, love is a Christian earmark. It starts here. Something that's obvious, something we can't hide. Not, not only we can't hide it, we shouldn't even try. Love is a Christian earmark. It means that I'm identifiable because this is who I am. It's what I do. It's not something that I just decide to, to put into practice. It's something that flows out of me. And that brings me to the next thing. Fulfilling Christ's directive means I must love even if they aren't lovable. Have you ever known people who were just about as cuddly as porcupines? Maybe so. And if you have, then maybe it was the person in the mirror who was that hard to love. It is in my household sometimes. I'm hard to love. But that's why the Apostle Paul says the commandments, and then he lists four of them, are summed up in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These commandments, he gives us four of them, bang, 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 bang. And these four of the Ten Commandments are the four that are this direction. The others are this direction, up toward God. The others are horizontal commandments to one another. These are the things that we're to do to each other. What is it we're to do? Well, sum them all up. All these things that you shall not do, sum it up in one positive commandment by saying love one another. So why doesn't it happen more often? Well, quite honestly, we have a problem. It's called our sin nature. It's what lives within each of us simply by, by birth. It's something that was born into us. It's the inheritance that we receive from our fathers and them from their fathers and so on up the line. It is a reminder that our hearts, so says the word of God, are inherently wicked all on their own. See, the heart of the problem is a heart problem. The reason that we don't do loving one another is because of the heart problem that we have. We're inherently sinful and selfish. If we could legislate it away, we would have by now. If we could find a self-help book to take that away, surely we would have read it and done so. 
But because we can't, we must lean into that transformation that Romans 12 talks about. That transformation that changes me from the inside out. That's what frees me. That's what liberates me. That's the only thing that liberates you. It allows me to be propelled toward Christian maturity, toward reflecting the Savior that I call my own. It's the earmark that reflects that I belong to him. Now, before we move on, this passage is one, verse 8 specifically, that's been used a lot lately by a well-intentioned and an honest individual using it in a way that I think may be destructive. So I wanted to pause and just ask one question. Is verse 8 this command about money? Now, if you read some or listen very much to, to, to financial podcasts, then perhaps you've heard somebody say, hey, this is a commandment against taking out loans or indebtedness of any kind. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's an admonition regarding our finances. I think this is rather a reflection on if we get everything else right, then our hearts will come along, including our pocketbooks. After all, in Matthew 25 and in Luke 19, Jesus talks about banking and investing, and he doesn't say a thing about them being wrong or wicked or evil. What he says is that don't let these be the things that you worship. Oh, beloved friends, I want you to recognize what Jesus is calling us to is to recognize our highest debt is the one that we owe to love one another. I'm going to give you two things to plug into your life. When you find someone difficult to love, do what Jesus did. Move toward them. Move toward them. Go with me back to Luke, I'm sorry, John, chapter 13, the Gospel of John. And there you'll find Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, including Judas, the betrayer. Jesus set the example for us and then came behind it later in that chapter when he said, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. By this will all people know that you are my disciples when you love one another. That brings me to the second thing I want you to take home with you. Choose to love deliberately and don't wait for reciprocation. You know what the hardest thing to do is, is love somebody that doesn't want to be loved? To show them kindness even when they didn't ask for it and won't reciprocate? To do it anyway? Now, for us, in our idea, we're like, well, they didn't earn it. They don't deserve it. I'm not going to give it to them. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't do that to you? And if we are to be Christians, if we are to be like Christ, if we are to be shaped in his image and have his earmarks on our ears, then let us take his path instead of our own. And instead of waiting for the reciprocation, love them anyway. Let's move on. What time is it? It's time to wake up and check your Bible. Now, in the old days, before we had cell phones with satellite time and digital watches that were linked to our phones, there needed to be some sort of standard of time, right? Well, for my household where I grew up, it was a phone number. A phone number that still works. 817-844-6611. If you call it, then you'll get an advertisement, and then right behind it, it will tell you the time and the temperature. 
Now, you might say, well, that's silly, Darren. Why would anybody need that? Well, go back to when it was in the late 70s when we, when we, we found that number and when they got it started. They put that up because it was important to know the right time. We needed that asset. We needed some sort of standard to link to. And I want to tell you today, my friends, I'm glad to tell you that number still works. I called it this week just to find out. It was a bank back in the day, but now it's Haltom City Jewelers. They ought to give me a stipend for telling you about this. Thank you for calling Haltom City Jewelers. Time is uh, 1728 and it's 48 degrees outside. So when we read this second half of the, our section today, verses 11 to the end of the chapter, one of the things we'll find is the Apostle Paul challenging us to know what time it is. What time is it? It's time to wake up and smell what time it is. Hear it again in verse 11. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Can I tell you today, my friends, there's good news ahead, and that is that Christ's return is closer than he's ever been. I hope that's good news to you, but I want to ask you something. If you knew Jesus was coming back before the Super Bowl started tonight, what would you do? What would you do? What would you do to get ready? What would you do to prepare? That's exactly what Paul is imploring us to do. If you know there's things you need to do to get ready for Jesus' return, why wait? The return of Christ is at hand. The call to awaken, then, is a call to shake off the spiritual lethargy that sneaks up on us. If we don't guard ourselves against it, it sort of comes over us like a warm blanket, one that's comfortable in our satisfaction, in our happiness, in our peace, because after all, Jesus is coming for us. I've got my, my, my place reserved in heaven. But what about our culture? What about our world? What about those who are outside these walls? That brings me to the next thing about it. Christ's transformation in my life leads me to a new timetable. A new timetable, one that is no longer linked to what I want, but linked to what Christ, what Christ calls me to be. When he calls me to be something, it invites me to leave behind what I was. You know, there's lots of different clocks out there, but there's one that gets a lot of attention from time to time. Take a look at this. It comes up on the, on the wall here. This is from the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. It's the doomsday clock. Every so often, I took this image this week, every so often uh, they move the clock closer to midnight, closer to atomic fallout, if you will. And this made big news when it happened earlier, uh, late last year. It's 90 seconds to midnight. In other words, get ready. Do something about it. Prepare yourself. Well, they're using this to incite fear, to incite worry, to incite anxiety, and to challenge you to either build more nuclear weapons or tear down the ones we have. I haven't quite decided which one they prefer. What we can say, though, is that our God gives us a timetable. This one, they're just guessing. But Jesus has the timetable, and he knows what time it is, and he's coming soon. If we really believe that the return of Christ is soon, nearer now than it's ever been, then what would we do? We would show people kindness. We would reflect it in our faces. We would tell them the good news. 
Let me tell you, friends, one of the things that uh, I do just as a habit, I started it when I was a kid, drove my mother crazy when I was young. I would look people in the face when we passed them in the store or in the street, and I would speak a word of kindness to them and smile. Hi. And you know what I found? People are so much more beautiful. People are so much more handsome when they smile. So why don't more people do that? Because it's disarming. Maybe even a little alarming. There have been some people who walk past me looking at me like this after I smiled at them. What do you want? The answer is nothing. Now sometimes, every once in a while, well, maybe not that rarely, somebody will stop me first. And they'll say, hey, Darren. Or, hey, mister, how tall are you? Well, you know what? I see that as an open door to tell them about Jesus. Boy, are they going to be sorry they asked that question, right? (laughs) But maybe the Lord has prompted in that conversation something that he had ordained from long ago. Maybe it started just because we said a kind word to somebody. Maybe somebody just needs to be acknowledged that they're alive, that they exist. Now, I'm I'm not necessarily advocating that for everybody. Somebody talked to me after the first service and said, Darren, that can be dangerous for some. I'm not advocating for it in every uh, circumstance, but I am advocating that we recognize the power of recognizing people, that Jesus came for them. We're the fortunate ones who are a part of the first family. That's a blessing. But there's a whole city outside these walls, 170,000 people, that they need a church home too. Let us be the ones to tell them about Jesus. No, we don't have room for all of them in here. But friends, we can certainly welcome some of them. And maybe it's that Jesus is calling us the transformed ones or the ones that are being transformed to tell them about the gospel and to help them know what time it is. So if I know what time it is, then I'll take deliberate action. And that's the next thing Paul talks about. See it there in verses 13 and 14. Put off the deeds of darkness. Put them off. Put the old off. Put the new on. When you got up this morning, you went to your closet or into the the chest of drawers that you used, and you took out some garments and you placed them upon you. Now, the things that you were wearing yesterday, you took those off and you placed them either back in the closet, if you're like me, or in the dirty clothes hamper. One wears not enough, right? Let's talk about that some other time. So we put these things away because we know those things don't belong anymore. What is it we're putting away? Brokenness, wickedness, sin. It means that I recognize I'm not going that way anymore. I don't need that anymore. I don't want that in my life. It's like what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, put to death, get rid of those things. Those rags aren't appropriate for us anymore. Stop living in the past and start living in transformed future. Put on these other ways, he says in verse 14. What are those ways? The ways of light, the ways of peace, the ways of strength, the ways of grace, the ways of mercy. These things that mark me, earmark, like Christ. And then in verse 14, he says, walk this way. Now, the dementia that lives in me, anytime I hear that phrase, I think of Aerosmith. Can you I just confess that? 
Maybe you too. Or maybe you prefer the Run DMC version that they did with Aerosmith. Either one is fine. But I'm wondering if they had something. I'm wondering if they were on to something. Maybe in their own sort of strange way. They had it right that walking is a core function to getting from one place to another. It doesn't have to be an exciting walk. It doesn't have to be an impressive walk. Nobody has to stand up and applaud for that walk. But walking, it's an unspectacular progress from this point to that one. It doesn't mean that I have to be in a perpetual parade, but it does mean that I recognize I'm on my way. I'm not standing still. I'm not staying where I am. The hardest part of walking with Christ is continuing to put one foot in front of the other. Anytime we talk about walking with Jesus, let's just be clear about this. The hardest step is the first one. Getting off to that first step, it takes an insane amount of courage, an overwhelming amount of courage sometimes to say, I'm going to step one foot out and see what happens. Jesus, if you'll help me take that one step, I'll trust you. Now, some of you did that yesterday. Our park party that we held, it was unbelievable. Man, we ran out of hot dogs for crying out loud. It was an awesome day. And some of you were there to serve, and that's a blessing. Thank you for believing enough in Christ to put feet to action. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Walk this way means it doesn't have to be something overwhelming. You don't have to go around the world. Sometimes you just need to go across town. Sometimes just next door. Walk this way means there's a right way to go, and we're on that path. If we were to sum up verses 13 and 14 together, we might say this, don't plan for sin. These verses command us to vigilance. Don't plan for, invite, or make room for sin. Keep the door closed and don't flirt with it. Don't make provisions just in case Jesus lets me down. Because I'm going to tell you, he won't let you down. Now, that doesn't mean you'll live perfectly, but it means that you're not going to let that animal live in your house. You're going to keep him out. One of the most famous early Christians we have is Augustine, a giant in ancient Christianity. But he didn't start that way. His first 30 years, he lived as an absolute sinner, a decadent and immoral person, until one day he heard in his heart and mind, he still doesn't know if it's real, even after 1,500 years, the voice of a child saying, pick up and read, pick up and read. He picked up a Bible that someone had given him and opened it up and it fell to these two verses, Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. And through the ministry of these two verses into his heart, he was converted. His life was changed because he recognized himself in that mirror and he said, I don't want to live like that anymore. Instead, I want to put on Christ Jesus and live for him. I want to give you two things to plug in and we'll be done. One, live an on-time kind of life. There's a big difference between knowing what time it is and doing something about what you know. If you wake up late, that's no sin. Everybody does that from time to time. 
But continuing to lay there, even after you know what time it is, that's the problem. For many of us in Christ, we're content to just lay there. It's time to wake up, body. Family, it is time to step out and say, Jesus, I've been transformed. I want to tell others about it. I'm not eloquent. I'm not gifted. I'm not a preacher, but I'm going to tell them anyway. You don't have to have any special tools other than a willingness to speak what God has done in your life. Lastly, a deliberate path demands specific direction. Walk towards Jesus and walk with Jesus toward people. It means I'm on my way. No, I don't always get it right. No, there's no perfection in me except Jesus who is transforming me. So now we're down to decision time, all right? And you will make a decision. I can promise you that. Even if the decision is no, you won't do anything about it. But I want to give you three things, three things for that you can do today about what you've heard. Number one, if you've never invited Jesus into your life, if you've never had a personal encounter like Augustine did with Jesus, then here's what I want you to do. When we stand up to sing in just a minute, I'll be waiting for you. I want you to come down and talk to me and say, Darren, I want that personal transformation that you've talked about. Help me find it. I'll be waiting for you right here. That's number one. Number two, maybe you've already done that, but you've never taken the first step of Christian obedience. Baptism. You know what? Today's a great day to get that process started. Come down and let's talk about how you can be baptized. Now, you know, a few weeks ago, we baptized a lady in her 70s. And then a few weeks after that, we baptized a gentleman in his 80s. It's never too late. Step up and say, Jesus, I want to take that first step of Christian obedience. Third, maybe you need to come to this altar. These steps on either side are here for you. Perhaps you want to pray for yourself. Perhaps you need to pray for someone else. This is the day God has given you for coming and getting it right. There's nothing magical about them, but there is something powerful about putting a physical expression to a spiritual change. This is the day God has given you. What will you do with it? Let's pray together. And now, Lord Jesus, we're at decision time yet again. We're here, Lord, because we want to encounter you. We need to encounter you. I pray, Lord, that your power would flow in this place and that you, because of your mercy and grace, would transform lives. I pray for those who need to respond to you today, Lord Jesus. Give them freedom to do so. Satan will give us nine million reasons why we shouldn't, but you invite us just the same. Will you do that here today, Lord? Draw those who are supposed to be yours to yourself yet again, or maybe for the first time. I pray for those who are struggling right now, and I pray that you would give them freedom, God. So do your work right here and right now among us, Lord Jesus. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's your chance, my friends. We won't sing long. If you've got a decision, start coming now. Stand and sing with me as you come.